Aloha Maui. Hello, this is Josh Porter. Jason Burkhart. And Brian Thomas is there somewhere. We'll get him eventually. I'll call him back in, maybe. <laughs> oh, do we listen? Okay. <laughs> I see him on. I see him on our special uh, uh, virtual presence device. Hey, folks. This is episode one five nine. We're going to be discussing the RFP, the request for proposal phase two, here in Hawaii. That is going to make a huge impact on our overall renewable energy. Uh, 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 percentage, uh, getting closer and closer to our 100% renewable energy goals. Uh, this is We're gonna also going to continue with a utility series here and talk to some of these awardees. There's, um, I don't know, about a dozen, not quite a dozen awardees, 16 projects, some hold multiple projects. Interjects, uh, Eddie Park and Julie Mancinelli have been on the show before. They're calling in today, and we're going to get a chance to uh, talk with them, hear about their new projects and their existing projects from RFP Phase 2. Um, this is real utility-scale kind of uh, energy kind of geek stuff in a way, uh, but, you know, foundational to our new energy future and to rebuilding our economy, I think. What do you say, Jay? Um, this is I mean, it's the most important thing going on right now. We, we need ways to provide for ourselves, to provide jobs for the citizens, and it's just, it's just, we have these goals that mandate to, to make ourselves self-sufficient. So, I mean, there's, there's no other way around it. We're going to have to, we're going to have to do some renewable energy kind of projects. Um, it's, it's co contentious sometimes though. We have uh, even projects from phase one. This is phase, the phase two awards you're talking about, but even the phase ones that, that are still tied up in um, conversation. And we're going to hear a little bit about that as well. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and it's uh, this is fast-moving stuff. Hopefully we'll get an idea of the timeline, but we're talking about some of these being operational by 2023. It is 2020. Every time I say that, I feel like I'm talking about a, a future novel, 2020 we're living in right now. But by 2023, so yeah, just right. a few years off, well, these will be operation, project operational. That's the goal. Uh, very, very cool stuff. You guys ready to get going? Should we do it? Always. Here we go. Let's do it. Ah, there he is. <laughs> hey, folks, this is the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. It can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Ko'oi, 1110 a.m., 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry www.solar-coaster.com is where you can listen live if you're outside our broadcast area or even in. Uh, we have all sorts of blog posts, the um, archive of old shows, uh, links to the YouTube channel. Everything is up there. So if you have an interest in renewables, uh, technology, you're thinking about putting solar in your home, thinking about electric vehicles, chances are we've talked about it by now. Go in and uh, get, do your research. Make sure that you get the information you need to make the right choice. Uh, we also also available on podcast net networks, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, etc. All carry the solar coaster. Just search solar coaster and look for our little orange and blue uh, waveform logo there you go got some great sponsors out there that have helped the solar coaster move through three plus glorious years uh and i want to kind of give a little nod to some of them right now of course fairwinds wealth management with brian thomas on the phone uh tutoring us and helping us understand the uh the inner workings of the financial markets especially as it relates to esg and and uh and, and all these wonderful things brian thank you for that how can people reach you if they want to get in touch with you uh, info at Fair Winds Wealth or phone number 808-873-3247. And we're going to hear more from Brian shortly about uh, his analysis on what's going on in the markets presently. Uh, Enduro Shield and Perfectly Clear Glass is another sponsor that's been with the show for six months, six plus months now. And I want to give them a, a special shout out today because they're really thoughtful guys that are looking in the long term here, despite these kind of blips in what we're dealing with at the moment with uh, our, the, all the shifts in our economy, with the COVID crisis, with everything else going on. Geez, a lot of going, a lot going on out there. So uh, Endura Shield and Perfectly Clear Glass are, you know, are looking really excitedly about SPI, about how to participate in this, about how to uh, connect more and more with the different uh, companies out there that may need a coating like they offer. They have this coating that will allow panels to produce more energy by reducing the amount of soiling, the amount of uh, accru accruing of, uh, of soil and debris, right? So it's really cool stuff, dirt. cool company. Just say dirt. 
dirt. I got it. I'll call it dirt. It's not always dirt. It could be other stuff. No, not always. It could. Hey, when I, when I when I model the system, it says soil duration factor. That's why that pops in my mind. I have to check that box. There you go. Okay. So also, uh, Sundrum Solar got a call from Michael and Sherry today. Looks like uh, Sundrum is back up and running, given the um, the scenario that we have here with the the various um, uh, what can I say restrictions in conducting business. And we have a new schedule for these uh, projects that Sundrum's working on. And these are going to be really cool when you see them. But imagine large-scale heat exchanging systems that make businesses do make make it make hot water and cold water more effectively and more cheaply. Very cool stuff. And congratulations to Sundrum Solar on that. I also want to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, Maui County Office of Economic Development, the Kama Aina First Program. We're going to get a chance to have our representative on air shortly and talk all about this really important program that's going to be uh, clearly, you know, uh, an important step in rebuilding the economy out here uh, in this time. So wonderful group of sponsors. Really appreciate them very much. Let's jump over to news and events. Okay, right away on global news, China's solar giants are slashing prices uh, as as the virus has curbed demand worldwide. Uh, we 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 saw this everywhere that you just you couldn't get stuff shipped in, shipped out. Um, they've been stockpiling. Uh, wafers, which are the individual little little black parts of the the, of the solar panel or the the panels themselves, for these number of months, and everybody has a full warehouse of panels. Yeah. Um, so they're slashing prices. Uh, costs for components, wafers and cells, have fallen as much as 20% since the start of the year, and they we we don't think this is the end. Apparently, um, it, it's it's going to come down a lot more. There's there's people pointing out that that some manufacturers like Longyi um, still have uh, like 15 to 20 percent profit margin at that point. Uh, that doesn't sound like a lot of profit, but if they're, they're going to be dumping these things because their warehouses are full, it's going to get very cheap very quickly. Uh, there's also a big worry that, that there's going to be a lot of consolidation. I mean, the smaller um, manufacturers really aren't going to be able to compete with this and they're, they're going to go under because they're not making any money. And finally, um, that would lead to um, consolidation. So, so the, the larger businesses would buy up their manufacturing um, capacity as well as they're all adding their own. And some of the even the larger manufacturers in China were considering and still have plans on the books to upgrade their manufacturing capacity up to up to 200 percent this year. So all of that adds up to a significant drop in solar again, which is still just dropping <laughs> every day. The prices keep getting cheaper every day. Yeah. So, so these this is the actual components to, of for solar panels and solar cells that we're talking about, and it's just going to get really, really cheap. So this is um, something like seventy-eight percent. About you know almost all of the the entire kind of solar supply chain originates in China. I read that. I'm not sure if it was in this mm -hmm. article or another one. But and then we're talking on yes, a global sir. scale, of course. On a national scale, we have some pretty significant tariffs in place. Um, but yeah, it, it looks to me like we could see some some major reduction in the cell cost at the utility uh, scale level, right? And then you you can you can say you can say that, but a tariff is a percentage levied on the cost of the item, right? So mm -hmm. it was twenty five percent. Now it's what twenty twenty two, I think. It's already it's already starting to, to scale down again. Um, but but it's it's in the twenty percent range. So it's twenty percent on top of whatever their cost the the cost to bring it in is the the price that that they're paying. Um, so if the sales have already dropped twenty percent, well we're back pre-tariff pricing yeah, right already yeah. yeah so if it just knocks out the uh the the, the increase and in the, the artificial increase we have with the tariffs that's an interesting thought yeah. um also that consolidation it looks like moving towards kind of higher end manufacturers they, they may be able to win out in this there's still room in there for them to make a, a buck um and so you know you could see some of these smaller ones go away like you said that's kind of interesting you know and then also is there going to be just an overall flooding of the market with these kind of you know uh, other non-tier one products ones that are out there that are super cheap i mean how cheap can get 0.25 like once it's like lower than a quarter there's just some things that really start to happen it's like cheaper than the manufacturing costs at the end of the day so it'll be really interesting to see where this goes and how this impacts we'll have to ask this to, to interject see what they're seeing with product costs and what their uh, opinions yeah, on absolutely. how it affects the overall coe very cool or very interesting and also concerning to see that uh what else you got jay <laughs> well, stay, staying with China for just a second, they, they've still been able to add four gigawatts uh, since the um, 
since the beginning of, of the year, which is kind of surprising considering we we're all um, supposedly in lockdown. But I guess, I mean, energy and construction projects were considered essential across the majority of the world. So they didn't really stop working. If you're mm. out in a field and installing solar, this, this, it's not a high risk as as I would think. Um, so it's, these chances are these these projects have been going along, and we we're expected to be pre pre pandemic. We were supposed to install what 120 gigawatt worldwide. That sounds right. I think that was the mm-hmm. I, think, I think that was the number. Um, but but China has has installed four gigawatt of solar across the uh, the first quarter, uh, regardless of. And they've also actually been able to roll out some ultra high voltage lines because uh, land is cheap in China, out in in the western portion of the country where there's there's not a lot of population centers. But they where they actually use it is along the east coast, and that's that that's where they need the energy the most. So they've been piping that energy in, and they have new high voltage lines uh to bring that in so they're making significant inroads whether whether or not they are uh, they're locked down yeah it's such a political time right it's like well uh they china seems to be making advances uh around the world in different different areas uh they don't seem to be slowing down mm-hmm. at all and then of course solar is kind of one of the, one of those areas i mean they're still you know rocking and rolling with their with their deployments they're also moving more towards the south in their actual siting of uh, of of um uh, of, of utility scale projects, so like Guangdong and these areas in the south where you have all that manufacturing, and they're doing closer systems closer to those uh, those sites. Which, which makes sense. You do want to have your generation close to manufacturing where we're going to consum- consume it, right? Generation close to consumption is is the the perfect world. You don't have to pipe it around. There's no losses for long long lines, etc. Um, but it, but at the same time, you you need to balance those land costs. I guess with the solar itself coming down, you can you can maybe purchase a little more expensive land. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, crazy, crazy to think of. Okay, uh, where do we want to go, Jay? What's, what's, what's your next favorite article? I want to I talk about this resilience article that you sent me, resilience.org. It's a really neat story um, about a couple who have been going through the process trying to um, basically make their home a sustainable just taking control of their own local local space, make it a sustainable trans um, area. Um, and so the, the, the title of the article is If My House Were the World, um, and it's a renewable energy transition um, guide or just, just a, a large number of notes about their their whole process. So they've done a lot of work. They bought an old house, uh, did insulation. Um, com- there's comments here on what, what was expensive, what worked, what didn't. Um, but I've, I found it really, really interesting. I haven't even finished the whole thing because it's quite long. But um, they've done everything from um, solar and, and batteries, but old, old school lead-acid battery, um, to buying chickens, <laughs> which is something we can all identify yeah. with, um, whether you, whether you have chickens or not um and 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 really how it made um their house more economically efficient but also that there was this significant outlay um that they that they had to had they had to invest in in, in a lot of technology and yep. some of it didn't didn't always always happen i like this <laughs> uh, this line in here they have these bulleted points they talk about some things that worked well they go 20 years after purchase we have an antique pv system with museum quality siemens panel still spitting out electrons yeah and so they were they're, early they adopters yeah. <laughs> and i can imagine them. they're probably those you know the the circles right with the huge bus bars like big pieces of, of like metal paste on the front of them so yeah and we've <laughs> seen those in museums that's why I, it's the kind of museums or trade show booths where they talk about the history of pv panels right no, that was yeah that was a museum it was the history exactly <laughs> uh it's pretty cool to think of people taking this kind of leap 20 years ago i guess the question is how is that um are people doing that now more i think the answer is yes to a certain degree is it going to be easier than what they experienced i also think that answer is yes there's a lot more technology out there things you know, there's a lot more knowledge people that have already done this uh you know and it's uh it's it's really cool to go down that road and uh, try to create more resiliency for your you know it's kind of like you can you know, think about how we do it as a as a nation state or as a state or a county or, or but it, but in terms of how we do it individually, this is just as important. These are the things you can actually control, right, right in front of you. And so if you if you start to move down that road, it's pretty rewarding. And I think it's a it's cool to see this mapped out. And these guys are you know true earlier adopters. What do you think, Brian? Yeah. BT, you still there, buddy? Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I've actually. Uh, 
I see the value and I started. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Yep. Josh. Got you, man. Can you hear us? Can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, He's okay. I guess we technical have a difficulties. Technical difficulties. <laughs> Anyways, Ryan um, is, he can't hear us. <laughs> All right, yeah, Brian, we'll take it from here, buddy. That, it's but, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, um, the anyway, great article. I think it's kind of maps out this yeah. uh, this sense of how people started doing this years back and, and where they've come to. I mean, they're talking about things not just like, uh, not just solar, but they talk about chickens. They talk about solar cookers. We get, you know, these are fun things. And some of these, they go, yeah, this was really a cool thing. It had a lot of gains. It was really a simple approach for us. And other things that are like, not so good. Didn't really work out very well. It was kind of expensive. You want to kind of steer clear of that. They do talk about energy storage. And I think their perspective and their experience in energy storage is probably fundamentally different. Although, of course, it is expensive. It's fundamentally different from what, what's going to be happening over the next 6, 12, 18 months. I mean, I just am so excited about where storage is going and how applicable it is. I mean, right now we're seeing the end phase. I don't know if you noticed this, Jay. But the Enphase Ensemble program is getting shipped right now. You're seeing some of those first installs. Mm -hmm. They're all it's all around, right? But of course, that's a pricey yeah. lithium iron phosphate solution. But then there's another half dozen to a dozen solutions that are starting to you know get into the distributors' hands, starting to get installed. Whether it's the Panasonic system, whether it's you know uh, uh, the the the, um, the new Solar Edge batteries, which we're super excited about. It's all going out there. So I think that storage conversation is going to change considerably and it's going to become part of our lives. That's that's my, my take on it. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely not only Tesla anymore. Tesla is not the only game in town. And I, honestly, I think a lot of these companies can really beat um, what Tesla's offering is uh, because they haven't changed that, that power wall, too, in, in a decent amount of time. Right, 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 for sure, for sure. And just as a quick talking point, and I do want to s s mention this because I'm particularly excited about it, uh, the uh, Solar Edge released its uh, home backup hub, and it is uh, you know it allows your batteries that Solar Edge is releasing presently to uh, be able to operate in, in an outage, right? So not only in a self-supply mm -hmm. functionality every day to store in, in energy and use it at night. Uh, but also during an outage when the grid goes down. That's kind of cool. What is really cool is that they specifically created the capability to charge that battery with a generator. And that sounds like, oh, well, of course, everyone probably does that. No, everyone doesn't do that. Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> but Nobody does. Nobody does that. <laughs> nobody does that. I mean, there are a couple of, I, I believe, the Radian uh, Outback uh, Outback Radian series has the capacity yeah, to they're, charge. They're, that's meant for off-grid. That's Yeah, that's real off-grid <laughs> stuff. Really, their target, their target market is total cut the cord. Right. So this is a whole thing. I was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is exciting, right? To be And why is that exciting? Because you don't have to oversight. I mean, it, can, it just gives you a lot more flexibility. If you have the ability, if your battery goes down and you're able to fire up your generator and run it for a short period of time on propane or flex, whatever you're using, then you your battery is always going to be there for you. That is amazing. And, when, and then you can efficiently disperse that energy as you need it to the loads that are that are present. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot. Of, there's not a lot of loss there when you when you charge from a generator. But as as we know, charging a, with a generator, running max, and then shutting it off. That's the most efficient way. You use the least amount of fuel. You get the most energy out of it, and then you keep that battery and just meter it out as oh, you need yeah. it from the from the battery from the from the battery itself, which I, is which I, is just awesome. I got to tell you that talk about resiliency. I think that particular capability creates so much resiliency that I, there's a reason why it's been slowed down. I don't want to be too controversial or too conspiratorial, but it's. Yeah, no, no. Right. Makes a big difference. Yeah. All right, so um, let's shoot it. To, let's get one more. We got about four minutes before we have to uh, boogie. Okay, um, rooftop tracking for residential. Yay! Thoughts? <laughs> Thoughts? Yay! Want? <laughs> Mr. Mr. Porter wants this thing. I'm not so sure. Okay, um, so there's a um, point load power has created this PV booster uh, tracker, which is you've seen trackers, the big big giant field things that. Follow yeah, we're just the talking sun. about it. Yeah, they, they heliotrope. They follow the sun. Um, they've they're now touting this new little residential and and commercial tracker that you can put on your on any roof. Uh, it will generate seventy percent more power using bifacial modules than than ordinary racking. So ordinary racking would just be what what you normally see. They're they're flat on your roof and they don't move. So these actually track the sun. Um, 
I, I'm not so I'm not sold on this. You don't and like I'll moving tell parts. You why, because you don't when, like moving parts. I, well, I don't like I don't like moving parts for one. Um, it's sticking them up in the wind, which is a really really bad thing for for mm. Maui. And um, you have to set them farther apart than you. I mean, you when you when they're just on a rack, you stack them next to each other. These have to be a certain distance apart so that they can move and do whatever they're going to do. So you're losing surface area. Yeah, but I, and, and and I won't debate the uh, the numbers on this because we don't have them in front of us. But uh, no. I, you know, so for example, that 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 I guess suppose that comparison would be um, at the new relatively inexpensive price of let's say conventional mono uh, so, mono uh, solar panels. Would we get um, uh, with that compared to the seventy percent gain of a dual axis bifacial uh, uh, tracking system where, you know, where's the overall levelized cost of energy, which one is lower? Uh, yeah. And who knows? We'll find out, I suppose. Well, um, sorry. I don't know if you guys can hear me now. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. Sorry about that other, uh, challenge there, but in the article, it says 70% more, it says 70% more energy means 70% more revenue. And that enables projects to use about half the number of modules and receive 40% greater return on investment. So it sounds like it may be cost feasible. Saw that. Yeah, it's uh, it, here's the thing. Uh, bifacials are more expensive, right, uh, than uh, generally mm -hmm. speaking. Then, And you can see here, when you look at the actual picture, it's a really jazzy little picture. It's like a tripod and some, you know, and it looks like there's a, a stabilizing bar and then two cross sections. And then there's a, you actually have a, a perimeter, a frame around that bifacial, which you don't typically need. So there's a lot of aluminum there, right? And then, of course, you have some motors and stuff in it. Um, you know, and then you, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, I really would like to see some real world tables. And we're going to, I suppose, testing this across the, you know, multiple samples, we're going to start to see the, the value in this. But I, I do tend to agree with Jay that you, you're going to be missing, you're going to, a lot of these buildings, they need, when you put up um, a commercial uh, project, it's limited by its roof space, right? So you can, you put up to max roof fit, generally speaking, to be able to offset the power uh, needs of the building. So it, uh, you know, would that sacrifice in space, would those gains really pan out? Um, who knows? I mean, it's a great... Uh -huh. Exciting idea, but who knows? And and the like the very last line says, with the price of solar modules so cheap, does it make sense to optimize for their usage by adding moving parts? So, yeah, and uh, you got to and it, this is a long term play, right? We'll get a chance to to talk to uh, some utility scale providers now that work with this technology on a larger larger level. But you know, it has to work over the long term. And if systems go out, then what are you losing? Now, what's interesting about this is that if one goes out, you're losing one panel. It's kind of like the micro microinverter play, right? Well, you're only losing one module, then you'll be able to fix it in time. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know. I do like the notion of it um, as uh, you know just. In general, the notion of being able to optimize the generation capability of a panel. Do you break it down? You look at like single axis that provides a certain gain. You look at a dual axis that provides another gain. Then you look at bifacial integrated to that. Then it provides even another level of gain. So that's where they get that seventy percent figure from. That's the most I've ever heard, though. So uh, well, we'll just have to uh, see. I'll also have what's the color of the that, that roof behind it? You know, to get that reflectivity. It's a piece of that puzzle too. Uh, all right, Jay. We got time for one more, I think, uh, before we head out. Uh, do we still want to talk about tracking? Because single access tracking is now the cheapest. Uh, you talk about levelized cost of L energy, uh, the cheapest across 93.1% of the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> the cheapest way to make energy now. Um, so that's, we, we keep talking about it, how, how solar is getting cheaper than oil and natural gas. Well, now this is, this is just the cheapest way to make energy across 90 plus percent of the world. So that's, that's, kind of impressive <laughs> and it's getting cheaper it, it is impressive and they talk specifically about single axis right so they're saying in this article right. this is a pv magazine article from just recently uh from actually from today and uh they talk about single axis tracking being the lc lowest lcoe so 93.1 percent of the world's land area so my i guess the the that that's that doesn't include dual axis tracking so the additional technology for that or whatever the costs are that doesn't that doesn't kind of qualify to be the lowest but this does this is uh more uh, effective and produces a lower cost of energy than static 
uh, monophage mono panels or um, even single axis mono panels. So they've kind of just created some delineation there. 93.1% of the world's land area. The questions I have, and we're going to ask uh, Eddie and Julia in a moment, I think, is does that qualify in a place like Maui? As you get closer to the equator, does that single axis, does that tracking, does the, the bifaciality, does that help us here? Because we have so much sun already. And I think we'll learn uh, very, very shortly uh, the answer to that question. Very cool. Very cool. Let's head over to our commercials. Come right back with Eddie and Julia from uh, Interjects. Kamaaina First is an exciting new program supported by the County of Maui Office of Economic Development to bring our local community together during this difficult time for businesses. To see all of the Maui County special offers, visit kamaainafirst.com. Or if you're a local business owner, then share your great offer for free. Visit kamaainafirst.com for a participant registration form. And join the Kamaaina First Facebook group to stay connected. Kamaaina First. Locals, Supporting locals. Enduro Shield glass protection is the cost effective way to help protect your PV investment, reduce cleaning needs, and help maximize power production. Enduro Shield prevents etching, helps reduce soiling and debris buildup. At only two molecules thick, Enduro Shield is optically clear, UV transparent. A one time application provides up to 10 years of durability. To learn more about the coating, visit EnduroShield.comslash solar. You can request factory application or on site by certified technicians like the team at Perfectly Clear. In Hawaii and for on site applications in Western US, visit PerfectlyClear.glass or call Gary at 808 280 9422. That's 808 280 9422. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. Unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. All right. Those were our wonderful sponsors. Thanks so much for helping keep the solar coaster on the tracks for uh, 159 episodes today. That is uh, not something I necessarily thought we would see, so I'm pretty stoked. Thank you, guys. We are here with Eddie and Julia from Interjex. Uh, really great to have you on board. Can you guys hear us okay? Cool. Yeah. Julia, you there too? I'm here. Hi, guys. All right. Well, welcome to the Solar Coaster. What is this, your third show, fourth show? You guys have been around quite a bit. Losing <laughs> track here now. Yeah, really. You guys are regular contributors. Well, uh, thank you uh, for agreeing to join us today and so we can hear a little bit about the things that are happening with Interjects. And I understand that you are, uh, I guess, congrats are, are, are due because you are one of the awardees of RFP Phase 2. Uh, yeah, man, it's wonderful to hear that. Oh, aloha, Josh and Jay. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk with you guys, and these are certainly exciting times, I think, in the state. And you know, we're, um, you know, we're excited and humbled to be part of this uh, transition, you know, towards 100% renewables. And uh, this next set of projects is, is uh, yeah, this is it's, it's a massive um, undertaking. And yeah, again, just really excited about that. It sure is. It sure is. Well, maybe you guys, you know, of course, we know all about you, but it'd be great for our listeners to kind of get a recap. So could you tell us a little bit about Interjects, a little about yourselves and kind of how you find yourself in this place? Yeah, yeah that's sure. maybe uh, Julia. Go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. So for those that don't know, uh, Interjects Renewable Energy is a renewable energy company. Uh, we solely do renewables, wind, solar, hydro. Uh, we operate uh, around the world in Canada, France, Chile, and the U.S. And we've got over 68 projects and operations right now, a couple under construction and a whole bunch under development. And yeah, just to echo Eddie's uh, sentiments, we're really excited to be a part of the second phase of the projects here in Hawaii and just really continuing to help bring, you know, environmental sustainability 
um, to where we're working and the communities that we're looking to become um, embedded in as long-term members and really excited. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, you know, and I've uh, when we first met, I looked at some of your projects, and you have uh, really interesting projects in places like Squamish, right? An area that I know of, or it's right. You have one up there in the um, in the Van Northern Van area, and so you're all over the world. You're doing these things. I was wondering, you know, from as as a utility scale provider, what does this type of impact often have on communities? I mean, I, you know, we think of it from the perspective of, well, we want to re- increase our resiliency, we want to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. But you guys get the long vision, right? You're able to see communities, how they're impacted, how they are, how they are affected. What is it that you typically see, and what, do you, what, what what's your perspective on that? For sure, yeah. I think you know, kind of kind of one of our company's philosophies is all about the people, planet, and prosperity, and it's really something that we've taken everywhere with us. And I think it's been our strength. Um, you know, the communities obviously they get the initial benefits of environmental sustainability, reduction in greenhouse gases, you know, not relying on fossil fuels and dirty power uh, to generate their communities. But it's also these long legacy projects that communities can be proud of. Um, We often partner with uh, communities around the world um, and looking to, again, become embedded as community members and looking to find those projects, legacy projects, community efforts to really just partner with um, through the life of the project as we are long-term members of communities and operators of our projects. Right, right. And that's that's a really interesting point because not only is the development, you know, there's a, there's a development timeline here that's multi-year, but then, of course, these systems are put in place and they're probably, uh, you know, analyzed on a financial basis for decades, 20, 25, 30 years. What's, you know, that's, a, that's quite a, a, a timeline to be engaged with the community, right? That's kind of what you're saying. So very interesting. Let's get a sense of um, what the projects you already have up and running or you've been developing are here in Hawaii. I suppose that's RFP phase one. And then also kind of these new ones. So maybe you could tell us about the scope of some of these. Yeah, um, maybe I'll yeah, I could take that one, uh, Josh. Yeah, we, were, uh, we had the fortune of uh, having two projects in the previous RFP one uh, phase, which was back in 2018. Uh, it was a 30 megawatt, um, 120 megawatt hour uh, Battery, battery storage project uh, awarded on the Big Island. We call it, that one is Hale Kuovehi. Um, and another uh, project on Maui, which you're very familiar with, uh, it's the Payahu Solar Project, uh, which is a 15 megawatt project, uh, you know, coupled with a 60 megawatt hour battery. So I think, you know, ever since, uh, I guess, what's, what's uh, consistent with both these, uh, you know, both of these competitive solicitations is that, you know, all the projects that you're seeing, I think in, in the first phase, uh, there was an option to have a battery or, or no battery, mm. um, but you know ultimately all the projects that were selected were coupled with with these massive batteries. Um, and then what we're seeing, I guess, in this next phase, RC2, is that it was actually a requirement uh, that the projects had to be coupled with batteries. And so I think the you know, utility has recognized that not only is are the benefits uh, substantial with being able to load shift all of the energy you know from from the project, but also that. Uh, the cost of the of the storage has dropped dramatically to the point where you could have, you know, a dispatchable renewable energy plant that can also uh, be at a price point that's uh, lower than generating from fossil fuels. So I think that was a real major shift in the market, you know, starting with RP1, and we're going to continue to see that, I think, in RP2. Um, and so, the you know, the two projects that we were included on the final award for in round two um, one of the projects, again, is in Maui. We're really excited about uh, this project. It's in West Maui. It's a 20-megawatt project coupled with a, a four-hour 20-megawatt battery or a 80-megawatt hour, um, you know, 80-megawatt hours uh, in West Maui, along with a 15-megawatt uh, a project uh, coupled with a battery in uh, Barbers Point on Oahu. Okay, so you have four projects in total, one in Big Eye, uh, two in Maui and one in Oahu. Is that right? Did I catch that right? Uh, yes, correct. Okay, got it. It's hard to keep track of all these projects you guys are winning. What, <laughs> what, is it, what does it take to win a, a, a bid for under that kind of competitive circumstances uh, and to, to make all that happen? You guys have just been through it. It's a multi-year process. What was, the, uh, what was part of the uh, winning sauce or the special sauce? Yeah, 
Oh man, Josh, you, you you can't have us reveal that that secret sauce uh, lies. In- <laughs> just, just, just give <laughs> us like one little piece of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good question. Um, I think it's uh, you know really finding strategic um, opportunities, you know, in, in in places where the you know where it makes sense. Um, I think there's a there's so many different factors that go into that evaluation, you know, and ultimately we don't you know we don't obviously we're not privy to what, uh, how the utility is assessing all of those different benefits. But I think a prime example for, you know, from uh, round one, you know, for Payahu as an example, it's the fact that, you know, they had in the PSIP that, uh, or the power supply improvement plan, uh, there was a need to supply uh, power in South Maui. And so we recognize that as an opportunity. And I think they consider this as a non-transmission alternative um, with a low growth in South, South Maui. Uh, we saw that uh, we had an active, uh, we had uh, approached Ulapaloko Ranch, and um, and there was a, a substation, the Oahi substation, which allowed for again, uh, without having to, without uh, major you know, infrastructure and involved for transmission, the ability to inject uh, power into into the grid uh, without uh, having those major transmission mm-hmm. upgrades. So we saw that as a as a real strategic, I guess. Uh, uh, I guess opportunity, and you know, to work on a project that you know made sense uh, from from that standpoint. So there's so many different factors that go into it. Um, I think you know, as far as I think, what one of the big emphases in this round was really around the community outreach. I think uh, there's a, a recognition that um, you know, as as uh, the island goes to 100% re- you know renewable energy, this is all fantastic. But um, this is also a you know, this is certainly from a community standpoint, making sure that folks are aware of what's going on um, with, with the changes uh, in, in social acceptance for having uh, these different renewable energy projects uh, across the state. And so I think uh, there was an effort to make sure that developers, and, and this is something I think, you know, as, as far as Interject is concerned, I was always very, um, you know, I, I guess very proud of the, the outreach that we have done. Um, and, you know, through our relationship with Bill Rasmussen as our local our representatives, done a fantastic job of reaching out, you know, to the community um, to make sure that we can solicit, the, you know, solicit their their input and implement the, the you know, any of those, uh, any of their concerns into projects. And so I think there was a, I would say, a, a widespread um, emphasis on the community outreach plan that developers were putting forth. Um, so I would say that, uh, you know, we have, we have, um, and we've, uh, you know, more than, you know, it's not just about meeting those requirements, but I think, you know, for us it's, uh, to go up and beyond. And I think to Julia's point, the fact that, you know, we are in it for the long haul. And so it's mm. uh, incredibly important for us to um, be out there in the community, build those relationships, uh, because ultimately, um, you know, we will be owning, operating these projects for, for quite some time. That's yeah. There's a lot there, and I, I definitely want to start to get into some of the technology and kind of your ideas about where this might go. But it struck me as you were talking that you've 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 developed Julia and yourself have developed a uh, a a perspective probably that's pretty accurate, or you, you get a good an interesting viewpoint seeing the uh, the communities in Big Island, seeing the communities in Maui, not only Maui but West Maui and South Maui, and then also out in Oahu. Are you, did you notice differences in the kind of character of the communities when you were engaged? in that process yeah maybe, uh, maybe Julia you could speak you could speak to that yeah I guess first off um, we've been incredibly honored to get such warm welcomes from all the communities that we've been working with um, and that are encouraged to have you know renewable energy come into Hawaii and transition off to fossil fuels um, a lot you know Maui as well as Hawaii is a very diverse community and the great thing about the utility scale projects is, you know, it keeps in mind that these projects provide benefits to all the islands, all the residents, and, you know, those that can't afford it on their, um, to install a PV on their homes or who rent or, you know, other venues. And so it's been really um, great to see that um, and the welcoming of that. And so, and then just partnering with folks, and, you know, for example, um, on our project that we're proposing in West Maui, like we're already looking to partner with the Pu'ukakui Watershed Partnership uh, as part of our efforts there. And nice. we've been really making some initial discussions on brainstorming different ways that we can incorporate the project into those efforts in West Maui um, and 
you know, just kind of exploring all these different great opportunities where you can blend community initiatives with renewable energy. Yeah, exciting times. That's good to hear, especially with the watershed. I think that uh, deploying large-scale systems and, you know, how, uh, what can I say, um, vegetation management is is is, is done. There's going to be a lot of input there. So that's really wonderful to hear that you're engaged in that way. Hey, uh, I think Brian's got a question. Brian, you there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, hi. Uh, I just I was wondering, is there something, is there a way that in order to keep the cost down, I know you've got the technical cost, but then there's also the soft costs of, of a community and stuff like that. But are there something that you can see from your side to keep the cost down as far as whether it would be a different approach to outreach and especially in this new environment. Um, how, like in other words, to, to not encounter uh, any community pushback or so, and or to, to convey to them that they're still gonna be bringing in fossil fuels to generate power versus what we're trying to do with solar. That's an Does that that's make an sense? Interesting question. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very interesting question. Um, I don't know if I have the right answer to that. Uh, it, it is, you know, certainly there are, there are uh, different dynamics in, in terms of the outreach. There are different viewpoints on how outreach should be done. I think, um, you know, really what I'm seeing in this round is, uh, you know, Maui Electric has taken huge strides in ensuring that, you know, from, from early stage, uh, communities are uh, more involved and aware of the project specifics, you know what are the, what is what is the outreach plan for all these projects? What is you know what are the different permits that are associated with these projects? Um, and really, um, I guess uh, uh, advocating for developers, uh, sh you know, sharing this information on 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 our website. And so uh, I think in the previous round we had made all of our documents available. Um, you know, all the different presentations that we've done, all of the FAQs, the you know the consultation reports. Uh, these were always available on, on, on the website, you know, to ensure that folks were familiar. But I think they're trying to take a, the, the utility is trying to take a bit of more of a, um, you know, a comprehensive, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, all, all projects um, are being held to similar standards. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll hopefully, um, you know, it'll work out in terms of making sure that people are aware there's, there's less surprises going down the line. But, you know, the, I think the nature of uh, you know, development is it's a, it's a fluid process, it's dynamic, and so you know, even with all of that information, certainly there will you know there are always uh, wild cards and, and things that you can't uh, fully anticipate. Um, but you know, as a general point, I do think that the direction that they're going in uh, should allow for uh, you know a more streamlined process, and, and hopefully, I think to your point on development costs, uh, you know, because delays you know ultimately do uh, lead to costs, and so. Uh, I guess I am hopeful again that uh, these, these new processes that are being involved will um, enable to keep those uh, costs down. You know, Brian, thank you for that, Eddie. Uh, Brian, as well here. Uh, after you brought that up to me today, I looked around and I noticed that the Consumer Advocate released uh, um, an article, or at least it was quoted in an article by Elani Media, and he talks about, or the Consumer Advocate talks about, recommend. I'll just quote: He recommends that the Hawaiian Electric companies consider for future projects the future development of a land RFP process, wherein the electric utility screens for and chooses the location for developers to bid on, based on their ability to construct a renewable energy facility on time and per a competitive budget. I thought that was an interesting idea, and that did kind of circulate a little bit after the dialogue of Paiyahu. Uh, any, any thought on that, Eddie? Yeah, you know, it's a concept that has come up, I, I think, um, in, in numerous cases. I, I think from an ideological standpoint, you know, I, I agree. It, it sounds great in concept, um, but I think, um, you know, for, a, for an effort to undertake an assessment of all the different project sites, I think you could do it at a certain um, you know, at a, at a higher level, but mm. when it comes down to a project specific, mm. and you know, Payahu as, as a good example, um, you know, sites will, you know, there are always different constraints that we're going to have to take into account, whether it's biological, archaeological, right. um, you know, whether it's uh, related to technical constraints, um, and so these are these are uh, studies that take place over a period of you know two three years, and so I think you know in the course of those studies. I think what the important uh, or the difficulty of having, I guess, this I ideological, like, hey, we'll find a site that's completely devoid of any uh, any constraints, um, is just really, uh, I would yeah. say, unrealistic, mm. uh, because you will always find uh, different, you will always have different constraints that you have to account for through your your surveys, 
And so it's uh, really, a, uh, I guess, it's part of the development process. It's understanding what those constraints are, um, how do you mitigate for some of those constraints. And I think through that process, uh, you have to work very collaboratively you know, with the community to make sure that they are aware of uh, what those constraints are and, and showing um, that you're making best efforts you know, on mitigation. And so I think you know, to this, I, I would say you know, ideological um, philosophy of like we can find a site that's completely clean and there will be no opposition to it, um, it's going to be really difficult. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, let's um, let's think about this. I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of the state you're at right now, and then also if I really want to get into some technology because I think there's an opportunity to have some fun and talk about bifacials and trackers. And we were just on the uh, on, a, on an interview with uh, Daniel Sugar over there at Next Tracker, and you know we were we were talking about Hawaii and about all the opportunities for for this kind of technology. So, but before we get there, what what exact moment are you at in the process? I understand that there's a negotiation with the utility, and then you move towards PUC approval. Uh, uh, what does that look like? Uh, I guess, are you referring to uh, these next round of projects here, Josh? Yes, yes, correct. Like right now in the in this stage where you've been awarded the projects, what are the, the, the most kind of, what are the next steps that you will, will, that you'll go through in order to start the build process? Oh yeah, gotcha. Um, yes, sure. So uh, where we're at right now is, um, I think uh, just a couple weeks ago, we were notified that uh, these two projects, uh, Barbers Point and Kahana uh, on Maui, were selected to the final group. Uh, what that kind of kicks off is um, a process with negotiating um, a power purchase agreement with the utility. Um, so we will likely spend the next uh, probably three months um, hopefully going through that process of negotiation. But meanwhile, I guess, and, and very importantly, uh, we will be hosting uh, an open house. And so... Uh, mm. In this COVID world of ours, uh, most folks have been, um, have been uh, going towards virtual meetings. And so we will also be hosting uh, a virtual open house, which I would, it would be fantastic, Josh, if you could join that. And you, you of, would course. Say, of course, of uh, course. <laughs> so we're targeting a, a July, July uh, uh, 7th to host, uh, host that, and we'll uh, certainly share more information with that you. Sounds uh, great. Yeah, so if people want to register, we would encourage them to go to our website, kahanasolarproject.com, and there's a link there, and people can register. Um, they can also reach out by email at kahanasolarinterject.com, and, yeah, looking forward to meeting people. Uh, as Eddie noted in this COVID pandemic, unfortunately, it won't be as personal in person as much as we love. Uh, it's always great to share over um, a nice meal and refreshments together but uh right isn't that isn't an interesting time we're we're trying to figure out how to you know maintain all the nuances of uh face-to-face communication virtually the interesting kind of neat things are happening we're all learning to use zoom and other types of webinars (laughs) it's kind of becoming like standard for us all right uh so very cool what was the date on that again and can people go to, to like a website to sign up presently yeah definitely so it's uh tuesday july 7th um, in the evening, and they can go to our project website, kahanasolarproject.com, and check it out, or they can uh, shoot us a, an email at kahanasolar at interjects.com. Very good, very good. Okay, we have a few more minutes, and it's reserved for the coolest part. Let's talk tech. What's going on in the world of storage, and what's going on? In the, are, you, are you looking at, uh, you know, really, we just want to know if you're going to put in bifacial trackers. <laughs> that's what we want to know. <laughs> I, could, I could, you know, make it sound like, are you doing that? <laughs> and I, I, want to, I do want to talk storage, because yeah. something I've been, I've been watching is, is that it's gone from, like, one hour, one, one to one to two to one to three to one to four. We're now up to four to one. So you're storing oh, four ratio. hours worth of power locally, uh, maximum from from the array, which which is is really impressive. It's just because storage keeps getting cheaper. Um, are, are we going to continue that trend? And <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to get six to one, ten to one. <laughs> I mean, the transition and how quickly this all happened. I mean, I, you know, I, I started my solar career. Uh, back when modules uh, were about $4.50 a watt. Mm. Um, and this is, mm. I think, in 2005, if I recall. Um, and just at the, the rate at which paddle costs have, have dropped, um, it just kind of blows your mind when you look at these different tables um, and charts. And you're, you're seeing, I would say, some similar trends as far as storage goes, um, but it's ha- happening in, in an accelerated fashion. 
And so um, I think uh, you know, we're already seeing um, the prices of, of storage you know, getting to a point where, again, I mean, you could have a, a ratio of you know, four hours of, of storage um, you know, added to a, a solar project, you know, full capacity, um, but still being under the cost of fossil fuel generation. I mean, that's just, um, you know, we, we saw that in, in the last round of RFPs. And I think what's happened is, you know, Hawaii was really a, a leader in this space. And I think the first project um, was on Kauai where they, uh, I, think, I believe it was a, um, an AS or a Tesla project where they were, where they were um, load shifting the entire capacity of the project. And it was just like, holy smokes. Uh, this is really happening, um, you know, to the point now where it's become, uh, I think like I mentioned earlier, where it's just being mandated, like, hey, we don't want any project without, uh, without a huge, you know, without a substantial, um, you know, storage component to it. And so I think, you know, you, we were seeing that, you know, two years ago with, with projects in Hawaii, whereas most of the projects on the mainland were, you know, of a, you know much smaller, you know, 30, 30 minute, one hour Know, primarily focused on, on things like ancillary services or frequency regulation um, to a point now where even projects you're seeing on the mainland, uh, the, 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 the amount, the sheer quantity of storage that's being, um, that's being added to these projects is it's phenomenal. And so you're seeing this just across the board where uh, I think there were some recent solicitations in, um, in, the, in the West where uh, projects were being paired again with, uh, you know, four hours, five hours of the full capacity of the project. So I think it's a, tr a trend that we're going to continue to see. You know, from a cost perspective, I don't think um, it's realistic to see the same type of, I think I was drawing this, um, you know, 450 a watt down to what's the 30 cents a watt that we, we see today uh, in the market on, on the panel side. Um, but you're certainly seeing, you know, huge, huge improvements um, you know, on the technology front, um, but also, you know, in, but still decreasing costs on the, on the, on the cost. So um, it's, it's something that we're you know, certainly following very, very closely. So are you looking at bifacial trackers? <laughs> no, you, can, you can answer that later. Actually, Jason's got a really important question. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I, was, I wanted to completely shift tracks here. Um, so we've got these projects. They're coming in. They're slated to be started in 2023 for this phase two and, and even sooner for, for the other, for the phase one project. Um, how many jobs do these entail? Are you hiring local talent and how much do you pay? How can people apply? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, the majority of the jobs, I mean, this is, these are, these are hefty infrastructure projects, um, requires significant amount of uh, construction labor, um, you know, we're certainly considering, uh, you know, local EPCs that have, you know, strong relationships um, with uh, different, um, yeah, just across across the different islands. And so I think the, you know, for us, it's a, a priority to, to hire local. Um, so that will be mm. um, something that we will obviously emphasize you know, going through that process of bringing on a, a contractor. So uh, thank you for that, Eddie, and thank you, uh, Julia, for uh, for you know providing a real great kind of uh, idea of where these projects are going. Uh, I do want to mention that you know our economy out here. There's a lot of discussion. Uh, at various levels uh, about rebooting the economy with renewable energy being kind of a fun foundational uh, component of that. So you guys are front and center in the reboot of the uh, Hawaiian economy, and I think it's a really privileged and cool place to be, and I'm glad you guys are doing it because you're cool people, and we appreciate you. So thank you uh, again. Where was that uh, sign-up location one more time so people can re uh, reach you? For uh, that. Definitely kahanasolarproject.com um, yeah and thanks so much Josh this is exciting times and, and really honored to be part of it thank you Julia alright Eddie my friend we'll see you out here soon I'm sure right all right. No, look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Okay. Aloha, guys. All right. Hey, folks, this has been The Solar Coaster. We are sponsored by Maui Office of Economic Development. Come on, the first program, Sundrum Solar, um, Enduro Shield, Perfectly Clear Glass, and Fairwinds Wealth Management. As always, thank you very much for a great show. Have a wonderful weekend, and Aloha Friday.